We'll gladly give you um, a Bible. <clears throat> I want to just share a couple things as you turn to the book of James right after Hebrews. Um, you know, I, I try to do a, you know, a missions moment or a ministry moment every week, just things that we're, um, we're super excited about and, and celebrating that, that God is doing. Um, and uh, a gentleman is here this morning, and he came up to you. I met him. I met him a few months back. I couldn't exactly remember when I met him, but he, he let me know. It was July 15th. And the reason he let me know it was July 15th is he said, um, he said you preached a sermon, and whatever it was that God said to him uh, led him to uh, give up drinking, and he said he's been 91 days sober free. He's here this Sunday. This is John right back here. So he's my kind of dude. He, he showed me on his wrist. He tattooed the date on his wrist. So um, praise Jesus for that. If you have an issue with tattoos, then we're probably not your church. Uh, um, <clears throat> I probably shouldn't say things like that. Uh, if uh, <laughs> uh, Okay, so, and, and then um, not only do we have tattoos, we celebrate Halloween here at church too, so we do, uh, we, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding, we don't celebrate Halloween, I have to be a little more careful with my words now. Um, we do an event, we, we do an event every year, uh, Brad Franklin just mentioned it, and it's a way for us to be salt and light to our community. And so we don't celebrate Halloween. We, we like to call it redeeming Halloween, taking something that the, the culture looks at as evil and doing something good with it. And what we do is we set up in the parking lot all of these different cars. They're decorated, and ki- kids from all over the community come and get candy from us, and we get to talk to them about Jesus and build relationships with them. And one of the neat things about you know being a pastor in a smaller church and, and having the opportunity, I've done a lot of weddings in our community. Uh, I've done, unfortunately, many memorials in our community that have been difficult, some really big ones that have been uh, well attended. I grew up here. I went to high school here, uh, and so did my grandparents and my mom. And so, you know, we've just really been a part of the community for a long time. So a lot of people know who I am. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I end up in conversations in the community about Jesus and our church a lot. And in the gym this week, one of the guys that works there he asked me a question. He said, when is it you do that trunk or treat thing? And I said, that's every Halloween. And uh, he said, okay, I, I wanted to make sure. He said, because since you started doing it, he said, our, our community in Sierra Meadows has been hammered with, uh, with kids, and we haven't been ready for it, and we ran out of candy every, every, uh, every uh, Halloween. So I wanted to be ready for it. And the reason I think that's really neat is that is in part why we do it. The church should be seen as a hub for community. And it should be seen as a place that breathes life into its community because that's what Jesus does. He brings life and light into dark places. And so the fact that we're impacting Sierra Meadows on, um, on that day, I think is really good. And so I want to really strongly encourage you that if you want to be a part of it, please let Brad know. Um, if you don't know who Brad is, would you stand up just for those who don't know you? He's hard to miss, big bearded guy. And uh, yeah. You'll still recognize him. He's the only guy his size here. Um, so, uh, and the biggest, one of the biggest needs is for people to come and bring a vehicle and decorate that vehicle uh, into something kind of fun, play some games with the kids there, and we provide all the candy. Well, you provided it because we're asking for you to donate it. Um, and so, but we'll put it back in your car to give away. It's, it's kind of a, a, a circle of life there. So that's cool. And then, and then, um, um, so we, we say it often, and, and I'll, I'll just mention it again, by God's grace, uh, you can see Sunday morning here, 
We're full. We're full at the 1030 service. And, and so we're trying to encourage people um, to go to the 830 service because we have more, a little more room in the 830. And one of the things that we've done to do that is we do provide children's church now at the 830 service. Uh, and so if that's you and you want to take part, come here a little early. Great. Um, you'd be helping us out with, by filling some more room so more people can come and we can reach more people for Jesus. Uh, and then one of the things that we're doing for safety and for some administration needs as well as for new visitors who are coming to the church is in a few weeks we're going to be um, introducing a kid's check-in. So when you come up as a family for nursery and for your kids, you'll have a check-in system that you'll come up to. Uh, and we're doing that, one, for security purposes. We'll make sure your kids are safe. We want to make sure we know what their allergies are and things like that, uh, which will help us make sure we're taking care of them even better than we already are. But it's also a great way for, um, for our visitors. So what happens right now, one of the things we try to do is think about uh, church for visitors. So some of you are visiting. And I've, I have visited, I do it like once a year where I get to visit another church uh, as a family with my wife and my four kids. And um, I've been to churches before where you come up, kind of like ours, you come up, you walk in, you got four kids, you have no idea what to do with them, and so you, you're kind of confused. And so we want to fix that. And so when a, a family comes up, they'll see that they check their kids in, and it'll be explained to them, kids get to hang out for a couple songs with their parents. And by the way, if you're, if you're newer here and you wonder, why do kids hang out for worship for two songs? The reason is we do believe it's the parents' job to raise their children according to the Bible and according to Jesus Christ, and we do want to do everything we can to make sure that families do some worship together. So, so we, that's why our kids aren't over here the entire service. We want them to actually know, they, we, want, we want little ones to actually see mom and dad worship Jesus, okay, uh, and have a, a bite of that. And, but we also know it's important to, to be uh, not distracted during the service too. Um, and if you know what it's like to sit in the service with young children, you know it can be incredibly difficult unless you're really mean to them and you threaten, threaten them. <clears throat> and so we try to avoid that. Um, so anyways, that'll be coming up soon. If you have questions, you can let me know. <laughs> okay, I had caffeine. There's all your sales pitch stuff. We do love Jesus. Book of James. By review, so far we've covered within chapter 1 that James was one time not a believer. He did not believe in Jesus, which is interesting because he was actually Jesus' half-brother. He grew up in the same home as Jesus. We're told later in the Bible that after the resurrection, Jesus made a special appointment with his little brother, and then James became a believer in Christ after the resurrection. After that resurrection, James grew in his faith, what we call sanctification. He grew, and upon growing, he became a leader within the church, what the Bible describes as one of the main pillars of the church. James writes this book mainly to believers. If you remember, I shared with you in the beginning of the series that this is a book that is a challenging book. There are places in this book that actually rub up against you to question whether you are a true believer or not. If you really believe in Jesus or if you are just kind of pretending you believe in Jesus. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, we're told that true believers, true believers have a healthy response to trials. They rejoice in them. In chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, we're told that true believers have a healthy response to temptation. They recognize it arises from within them and that they cannot blame God for such temptation. Last week, we talked a little bit about how true believers are born through the Word of God, that they are brought forth, it says, in verse 19, 
through God's speech. This morning, we will share how true believers have a true love for God's word. Now, as a church, we've come up with what is called a vision statement and some core values. Uh, these things are not to make us you know, more commercial, but just, just by way of keeping our leadership on the same page with who we are and what is important in our church. As you've seen when you walk up through the church doors, if you go to our webpage, if you look at the bulletin, or if you look at the screens behind me, you see that we desire as a church to follow Jesus and to make disciples. And as we've decided that, we recognize that we're not following man, we're not following tradition, we're not following some other God, we're following the one and only true God, we believe, which is Jesus Christ. We then have set before us the reality of how we do this and why we do it. Our first rule of thumb is that we do what we do for his glory. We don't do it for the glory of Jesse. We don't do it for the glory of Sierra Bible. We don't do it for the glory of our leadership or for our people. We do it for the glory of God alone. We want Jesus to be made known greatly and to be seen as valuable. That is what it means in essence to give him glory. The second part of our vision is that we do it for his glory. And the second part is we do it through his word. And the third part is on his mission. This morning, in essence, is almost a, a, a speech on what it means to live for his word, God's speech. In verse 18 of this passage, it says that we were brought forth by the word. We'll see, uh, we'll see later, as we read here in a moment, that we have the implanted word within us. In verse 22, we're commanded to be a doer of the word. In verse 23, we're commanded to hear and do the word. In verse 25, the word is called the perfect law of liberty. And later in chapter 212, James will call the word the royal law. With that said, we have a tradition on Sunday mornings to honor God's word as we read it. And so as we dive into the scripture, if you're able to this morning, I want to encourage you to stand with me as we read from chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, know this, my beloved brothers, notice his love for his people. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, person, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, we come before you this Sunday, Lord, and we ask you to speak to us. For those who are on the fence with their Christianity, that you would help them see that you are good and worthy of acceptance and worship. For those of us who are Christians, that you would challenge us in our faith, that we would not be be defensive to what it is that you want to say to us this morning. For those of us who are hurting, please be the balm that heals. For those of us 
who are sinning, please be the conviction needed to repent. We trust you for that work this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated again. As I said a minute ago, the theme of the message would be to hear the word and heed the word. Again, with the lens of, are you a true believer or not? Again, notice the love that James shares with the church. Once again, for their benefit, he shares his love, and he calls the church his beloved brethren. He cares for them, enough to share with them some hard truths. One of those truths that he shares with us is that we should be quick to listen. How many of you are good at listening? I have four children. They're incredible listeners. They listen to almost anything and everything I say. And not only are they quick to hear, they are quick to do. Super speedy. Notice the sarcasm. I'm lying. Now let's be clear about what's happening within the context of the Scripture. James is not saying in general that you would be good at hearing, in general that you would be uh, fast in, in hearing people. He's speaking specifically in context of what he just wrote earlier, that he's brought us forth from the Word. And then in verse 22, be doers of the Word. The commandment here is that Christians would be quick. They would be fast to hear the Word of God. One commentator says, just as a newborn baby does not have to be taught to hunger for its mother's milk, the newborn child of God does not have to be taught to hunger for God's word. His spiritual food and drink, that is the natural impulse of his new spiritual life, of his new creation. To use another metaphor, his spiritual dial is tuned to the frequency of Scripture. As our Lord stated, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. James is teaching us that part of growth as a Christian Part of our maturation as a Christian, but, but also by nature of our new birth as a Christian, is the desire to run to the Word of God. Oftentimes, I find it amazing at how, how weak the Christian church is and can be in regards to its, its desire for more of Scripture. I heard one person say to me this week that, that they were told that, that in their church and another place, that they were encouraged in their community group to not talk about politics, and to not talk about religion. Of which he shared with me upon this revelation, how does one talk about Jesus without talking about religion? And I said, I do not know how one does such things. For us in our community groups, our theory is actually the reverse. We desire to go deeper into God's word and for that word to rub against culture. That if we understand God's word, it will tell us how we should view the world politically, how we should view the world missionally, how we should view how people think and act. In fact, we should be measuring everything we do, every idea, every principle to the truth of God's word. I don't know about you, but I simply do not trust my natural inclinations to actually know what is true and what is not true. As we shared last week, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can actually know it? If the heart is as wicked as we say it is, then we need something outside of ourselves to tell us what we should really think about ourselves. Oftentimes, the culture will tell you, this is what makes you happy. This is what will give you joy. This is what will give you life. This is what will give you purpose. The end result, depression, anxiety, fear, bankruptcy. All of these things we know exist in our culture by and large. In fact, I heard one person say, you know, 
It's really unfortunate that within the church and outside of the church, the statistics of divorce are the same. Inside the church, 50%. Outside of the church, 50%. Some say it's larger than that. And to which I deeply appreciated. I can't, I, I was at a, um, this was at the conference I spoke at, uh, a small group time. And one of the pastors said, let me just stop you right there. And he looked around all the guys in the room and he said, is 50% true of your church? Is 50% true of your church? Because there were several churches there. Is 50% true of your church? And all of them said, no. You know the difference? In those statistics, is not churches like ours. Are you with me? It's, I can tell you 50% is not true of our church. It just isn't. And the reason being is statistics, if they go even further, will tell you that there's less of a chance of divorce when a husband and wife are reading Scripture together. And it even adds to that even lesser of a chance if a husband and wife is praying together. In fact, the statistics, the last I read them, and it's been quite a while, so take it with a grain of salt, 10%, 10% of marriages, husband and wife are praying together and reading Scripture together. He, here, here's the key to a happy marriage. 90% chance of success rate if you worship Jesus together. Hear the word. Be quick to listen. This is the commandment. Part of being born again is a natural inclination to desire this word. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you don't hear the words is because you're not of God. John 10, 26. But, it, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Can we, again, be honest? There is no lack of ability to listen to and to read and to study God's Scripture in our day and age. In fact, I've been challenged over the years. I've had a few people come to me after church and say, I deeply appreciate that you've taught that you should uh, read Scripture and that you should study Scripture and, and that you should do those things. But can, can I be honest with you? I, I've, I have dyslexia. I've had it all my life. I have an incredible difficult time paying attention, an incredible difficult time even understanding what's being said. I want you to know that I believe what you're saying, but what does a guy like me do if I'm trying to learn and study? Audiobooks. Do you, know, do you know we live in a day and age where you can tap into your Bible app right now and it will read to you? Not only will it read to you, but if you want it read in an Australian accent, it'll read it in an Australian accent. If you want it in an English accent, you can get an English accent. If you want it read like a story with voices like a play, you can get it that way as well. There's no excuse for us not to be surrounded by God's word. And in addition to that, it's, it, the, the American thing to say when you say, how are you doing, my friend? The response is, I'm busy. Right? That's the American thing. It's no longer, it used to be, it used to be, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Now it's, I'm busy. And so, so we say we're busy, but the, the deep reality is all of us have extra time on our hands. And if you do studies on, one of the things my iPhone does for me now, I just did this on the new update, it tells me, how many hours I've looked at my screen at the end of the week. I got a notification today before church that told me how much time I spent on my iPhone. Like, you look at it and you go, um, maybe I got more time on my hands. 
how bad would it be for some of you if net, when every time you turn on Netflix, it told you at the end of the week, this is how much time you spent looking at Netflix. This is how much time you spent perusing the internet. This is how much time you spent wasting time. All of us have time, whether it's hanging out in the shower and listening to a podcast or, or on a drive home somewhere. We have time to hear God's word. And what I'm teaching you this morning is a mark of a true believer is truly desiring God's word. I used to tell young people going out of youth group all of the time, when you leave and you go to another church, make sure that they're preaching from the Bible open. The Bible has to be open. If it's not open, you're not at the right church. There are a lot of places you can get consumeristic Christianity. The world is filled with enough consumerism. You have Amazon. You've got eBay. You can go to Target. You can go to Walmart. You can go to Costco. Nothing wrong with those things. But don't buy in that happiness is consumerism. Happiness is being in love with Jesus Christ, who's given you his living word to breathe life into you. This is why he says, I brought you forth. Those are words of joy. In addition to that, he says in James, if you remember, he's got interwoven through this whole chapter for your joy, for your benefit. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Even the word greetings to you in verse 1 of chapter 1 is all for your joy. Hearing Scripture and doing Scripture brings real freedom and liberty. That's verse 25. Are you with me? It's truly free. One commentator says it kind of like this. The reality, the reality of what it means to be happy and blessed is, is and you say, well, I need freedom. You take, a, you take a fish out of water. If you take a fish out of water, what does it do? It's not free. Well, you say, well, be free, fish. It's not free until you put it in water. Now it's truly free. And the reality is the same way for, for us as people. True freedom is to be swimming in a relationship with Jesus. That's true freedom. You remove yourself out of that, then you're like a fish out of water. Things become fractured. Again, to quote another commentator, it says, belief in God's word and belief in Jesus Christ are inseparable. To believe in one is to believe in the other. And to disbelieve one is to disbelieve the other. James's appeal is for believers to seize every opportunity to increase their exposure to Scripture to take advantage of every privileged occasion to read God's word or to hear it faithfully preached or taught. The sincere, eager desire for such learning is one of the surest marks of a true child of God. When he is specially blessed, he turns to the word to find passages of thanksgiving and praise. When he is troubled, he searches the words for comfort, encouragement, and strength. In times of confusion, he searches for the words of wisdom and guidance. When he is tempted, he searches out God's standard of purity, and righteousness for power to resist. The word is the source of deliverance from temptations and trials. It becomes the most welcome friend, not only because of what it delivers us from, but also because of what it delivers us to. Glorious, intimate, and loving communion with our heavenly Lord. See, reading scripture has to be seen as life-giving. And doing the scripture has to be something that we see as part of that life as well. We hear it, and we don't just hear it, we do it. And I love what he calls it here. Notice he says in verse 25, the law of liberty. We'll, we'll pretend we're a classroom for a minute. Everyone will say liberty. liberty. It's a good American word, right? Liberty. What it's telling us here is something really interesting. In fact, 
you'll see that Jesus himself, he calls the Psalms the law. Now, if you're a Bible student at all, this, this should trigger some weird things in your mind because Psalms is not law literature. It's not the Ten Commandments. The Psalms is poetry. It sits under the, 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 the genre of poetry. So when Jesus says that Psalms is the law, and when James is saying the perfect law of liberty, he's summarizing all of the Bible. What he's saying is this. He's saying that the whole of the Bible is the law. And when he uses the word law, it's not like the Ten Commandments, the do's and the don'ts. He's saying this is the poetry of life. This is the goodness of life. All of life should be seen through the picture of the Bible. Or another way to say it, the whole Bible is a picture of the whole of life. You with me? So this is what, what Keller says. He says it well. The Bible isn't just good advice. Everyone say amen. Okay, so you're drinking the grape juice. Thank you. It's not just filled with guidelines. It's just not things you can page through and say. I'd like to have this. I believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that. I don't believe that. See, we're not supposed to be up here looking down at the Bible and saying, I like that, I don't like that. I like that, I don't like that. Actually, it's supposed to be the other way around. The Bible, the entire of the Bible should be up here looking down at you, paging through you saying, I like that, I don't like that. I like that, and I don't like that. That's verse 25, the mirror. James says, one who, who's just a hearer of the word is the person who's looked in the the Bible, the Bible has read them, and the Bible has said to them, you know that this is a sin and you shouldn't do it. You know this is wrong. Don't, don't do it. You know you should be worshiping me with all of your spirit, all of your strength, all of your mind, so do it. And so when you read it and you, you hear God, some of you come and you hear from Jesus every single Sunday, and you walk away and you forget. The Bible has read you. The Bible has convicted you. The Bible has comforted you. The Bible has told you who you are in Jesus Christ, that you are valuable, so valuable that he died for you. He's told husbands what it means to love their wives. He's told wives what it means to love their husbands. He's told you how to parent your children. He's told you how to love one another. We hear these things from God. We're convinced and convicted of them. And the problem is we look into the mirror, the Bible's looking at us back and saying, you got something on your face, brother. Wipe it off. And you look at yourself, he's saying, you go, eh, I'm good. And you walk away. The problem with a lot of Christians is they, not, they, they allow the Bible to read them, but they never do anything about it. And what James, in essence, is saying is, you are not really a Christian if that's true. That's the challenge. You don't listen. You're not quick to listening. And James adds, he, he lets us know how difficult this is. He, he says, you have to listen. You have to be swift. Another way to translate, you have to be swift to hear. And he says, you have to receive with what? Meekness. The implanted word. Oftentimes we don't hear because we're not meek. And we're not humble. And it isn't until we get really meek and really humble, God forbid, a trial or tribulation occurs in your life. Something that, that forces you to be humble. I remember someone said to me when I was 25 years old, they said, you know, Jesse, what I've noticed about you? you? You will be humbled when humbled, but you never humble yourself. And if you look at Scripture, and I found this to be true, you can do a word study because you care about the Bible, you're going to do it when you leave. Do a word study on, on when it talks about humbling yourself. 
you'll find every passage, it says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. See, part of the key of Christianity is to get to a place of humility where you admit, as we've said before, I have need. I have need for the comforts of Jesus. I have needs for the word. What he's also teaching here is that in order, in order to be effective as a Christian, you have to learn how to listen effectively. I remember going to college and someone shared with me, they said, I can't remember the statistics, but if I stand up here and I pretend like I know them, you'll think I do, but I don't, so I won't lie to you. You absorb X amount of extra information just by sitting in the first three rows. You remember them saying that in school? Like, if you just sit up front, you'll be less dumb. How you guys doing back there? <laughs> They're being humble. They're letting you sit up here. They know you need it. Because, and the, the, whole, <laughs> the whole reason behind it is that there's nothing in front of you distract, to distract you from really listening and really hearing. And so you can increase your chances of absorbing more information. They say in college, I have to believe that positionally our heart has to be the same in Christianity. I would never say that the front row is more important than the back row as far as church is concerned, but the position of the heart. That as you sit in the room, you have, you've taken the humility side of your heart and you have, in humbleness, positioned your heart on the front row of Jesus' words to speak to you and to move you and to change you. And sometimes we don't get as much out of our Christianity simply because we're too prideful to really hear. And this is why the second point here of the message, James says, he says, be slow to anger. Again, look at the context. He's not, he's not just talking about those of us in the room who struggle with anger, though I do think that there is application to be applied here to it. But specifically, he's talking about the anger and the frustration you may feel when the word of God is preached and it rubs you the wrong way. As we've said before, and I said it to a gentleman this week, we, we've said it here, so I'll let, you, I'll let you repeat it if you remember. If you read something in Scripture and you disagree with it, it's because you're wrong. <laughs> this is God. It's, the Word of God is to be above us, telling us what's true of us, telling us, telling us what we need to hear, even if we don't want to hear it. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul's preaching the words to the Galatians. He loves the Galatians. He's pouring his life out to them. And he says in that chapter, he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, one of the most difficult things as a pastor is to love people who are before me and to have been in situations where I've shared God's word with them because I knew that's what I needed to say. And I've lost them as a, as a friend or I've lost them in our church as a whole. In fact, several years ago, somebody that got saved here, somebody that I baptized, they came to me when we first started doing trunk or treat and they said, I'm not coming anymore because of trunk or treat. And I thought to myself, I thought, well, the reasoning must be because it's Halloween and it's controversial and we understand that and so we can have a conversation. But that wasn't it. The reasoning was this. The reasoning was because we were giving kids candy. And that we have enough issues with diabetes and health that, that we just shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't be a part of it. And so I sat there in this position. I thought to myself, what do I need to do to win this person over and to help her see that we're trying to reach people for Jesus? We're not trying to make kids chunky that that's not our goal, like we don't want to, we don't want to like, you know, put bad habits into kids, and, and, and at the same time, I just, I loved this person, I'd seen her grow, and, and I didn't want her to leave, and, and, and as I talked with her, I said, you know what, 
I think the Bible has something to say about this, and it does. Amazingly, the Bible speaks almost, almost directly to it. And Paul had this issue he was struggling with where people were eating meat that was once sacrificed to idols. And maybe you don't remember this, but, but in Scripture, there, basically there was people saying, listen, there's people who are, who are offering this meat to false gods, and since they're not real, they're not eating the meat, so there's a chance for some free meat. So I like meat, I like free, I'm going to eat it. That was their logic. And then on the other side, there were those who said, no, that meat's tainted. You can't eat it because it's, 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 it's associated with false worship. So Paul comes along and he says this beautiful thing that actually makes Christianity much harder to deal with. He says, he doesn't do what we want, which is, here's a bunch of rules, listen to them. He says, no, 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 this is an issue of the heart. Listen, if someone wants free meat from idols, let them eat, man. It's meat, don't worry about it. But you, if you don't want to eat, don't, don't eat. You who eat meat, don't look at that person and think you're better than them. You who doesn't, don't eat meat, don't look at them and say, I'm better than you. Because the only thing that we have in common is that we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. That's the only thing. So, so if you're all sinners, you can't look down on anybody. But then he also goes on and he says, he says, listen, listen, if you're with somebody and you know that that's going to be an issue of conscience for them and it's going to really sear them, you who are stronger, go ahead and don't do it. So the example of that, some of you in the room, some of you in the room, you, you can have a glass of wine and it's no big deal. I know some of you who are in the room because you're my friends and, and I know you just to have said, I can't drink it at all. I can't touch it. We just, we just had John who just shared 91 days. I'm not touching it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. James will later say, he who knows what to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. So if John would have heard God said that and he disobeyed it, it'd be sin for him. But if someone else, they can have a glass of wine every night and it's not a big deal. And then in our minds, we go, well, there's got to be a rule. No, it's an issue of the heart. You can't just make rules. Because rules are only there to help us understand what's actually happening within your heart. So we now live in a day and age, right, where, where hey, what do you do with marijuana? It's, it's legal in California. What do you do? Someone comes to me and says, well, what about this issue? I just simply ask one question. Why do you smoke it? What's the reason behind it? And, and if you're saying, well, because of this and because of that, now all of a sudden we start talking about, well, isn't Jesus supposed to be that? It, it, right? Remember last week? The Father of lights, whom there's no shifting or shadow or turning. All of the things that we experience point us to the great light that is Jesus. Right? If we make wine the God, the light, we fall into addiction. But if we can have a glass of wine, we recognize that it's been a good gift from God and we can handle it in its moderation, we can see that God is good. And you can't come to me and say to me, as some have said, well, when Jesus partook at the table, he was drinking Welch's grape juice. No, it wasn't. And I've read all of the reasoning, and you know, that may be you this morning. I just want to tell you, I just don't think that the evidence is there biblically to justify that Jesus was drinking grape juice. Jesus drank wine. But you know what he never did when he drank wine? Never got drunk. All of this to be said, when God's word starts to rub up against you and you're challenged, you have to have the humility to hear it. You can't just get frustrated and say, well, I believe this to be true. That's, that in reality is, as we've said before, that is a preference. And now you're making your preference a prejudice. Just because you have been called by God to live a particular way doesn't mean that somebody else is going to live that way. 
And maybe not yet. And this, this just so you know, and you can email me and you can write me and you can grab me afterwards because this is going to lead to all kinds of other conversations about, well, what about this? And, and what about that? And, and what about this? And some of these things we have really clear answers to. Later, later we're told in the Bible, be angry. Does anyone know the rest of the verse? Don't sin. But now James just said, don't be angry. So we've got to wrestle through some of these things when someone says, well, what, what kind of movies can I watch? What kind of music can I listen to? Now we can't just make rules. We've got to start asking questions. Why do you listen to it? I got a video my wife won't let me post on Instagram of my oldest son dancing to Michael Jackson's I'm Bad. He's got a headband on, he's got glasses, and he's doing dance moves that are ridiculous. Right? And someone may come along and say, well, you can't listen to Michael Jackson. Why? Well, where's his heart in it? Does he worship Michael Jackson? Does he want to emulate his lifestyle? Does he want to use the drugs that Michael Jackson was using? Well, let's start digging deep into the heart. Or is he just a kid who's down? He's down. <laughs> he ain't got rhythm. He, he, he just knows what's up. And that's when we just take the, innocent, the innocence of it, and we go, thank you, Lord, for innocence. Because then there's some other 40-year-old guy going, you can't listen to Michael Jackson. He's saying, man, you are uptight. You need to loosen up, bro. You need more of Jesus' joy in your life. Are you with me? Okay, if you're not, uh, like I said, you can email me. I might hit, de- I might hit delete. Um, I might forward it to Wayne. So, The next part here is that doing, the doing part. James then says you must be shaped by the word. It is not sufficient to just hear. It now means that we must be shaped. And he uses the word, the language, put away. Put away all that is filthy or wicked. To renounce is what it means. And and the language that's used here is closely associated with the term that was used for wax in the ear that impaired your hearing. In essence, what James is saying is get rid of anything that hinders you from really hearing God's word clearly. Put away. So, so he, here's the question for you. Here's the question for me. As we're studying God's word and we're looking at it and we're wanting as Christians to grow, what is it that's in your life that is impairing you from hearing God's word? Well, what is distracting you from actually hearing about God and who God is? And And it might just be a time issue. It might be a pride issue. It might be an addiction. It might be digital media. Um, My wife gave up watching evening television with me for 66 days so she could read the 66 books of the Bible in 66 days, okay? That that is commitment. But see, I can look at that in my wife and I can go, you are a true believer. Nobody who is actually, like, someone who doesn't know Jesus doesn't do that kind of stuff, Right? Like you, you, you have to be weird enough and in love, and, uh, in love enough with Jesus to say, I'm going to dedicate the time that it takes. And she didn't do it just to check a box. She didn't do it so that her pastor and her husband would share with you what a great Christian she is, though she is. She, she didn't do it so she could get more favor from God. She did it because she's in love with Jesus Christ and she wanted to have a view of Scripture. And it was a beautiful thing to see my wife wrestle through scripture as a whole because there's stuff in there and you go whoa that's really deep and that's dark and that's ugly and that's depressing have you read ecclesiastes recently man if you are struggling with depression don't read that book 
just read the end, okay? <laughs> Obey God and worship him. Like, that's, that's the end of the matter. And, and so th- there's this reality for us as Christians that, that is we're, we have to put ourselves in front of Scripture and then allow it to start rooting things out and removing things. And it tells us that in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. You must put all of this away, it says. Anger, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie to each other. And one passage, it says, be kind to one another. After saying, don't steal, love one another, put away falsehood. So there's these things that it takes humility to receive the word, and then it takes even more humility to start looking in life and saying, I've got to put some of this stuff away. Again, I, I struggle sometimes with the example, but I also, know, I also know that God's good and his spirit is good. For some of you, it's social media. Like, you just shouldn't have it, like at all let alone post anything, right? And for some of us, it is, it's, it's watching TV. It's entertainment. It could be, I like doing fantasy football. Fantasy football could be one of those things. Like sometimes those things, like I know people who aren't at church because it's football season. It's true. And we see it at youth group too. Kids don't come to youth group because they got wrestling or they got tennis. And hey, we're parents. We're wrestling through that stuff too. What does it look like to teach our kids a well-rounded lifestyle of, of, of getting outdoors? You know, my wife, this guy, this guy said to me in the gym the other day, he goes, he says, uh, uh, man, you're really strong. What are you training for? Uh, nothing. I'm just lifting weights. He goes, well, what do you do during the winter season? And I just pointed at the weights. <laughs> oh, this is what I do. He goes, you don't ski, you don't snowboard, you don't mountain bike. Oh, man, I don't do any of those things. And he goes, how did you end up in Tahoe? I told, I said, I was born here. <laughs> I'm third generation. <laughs> and you don't do any of those things? I was like, no, man, I don't do any of those things. I lift weights, and I do Jesus, and I love my kids. I'm trying to keep my life as basic as possible. That's all I do, okay? Really boring. And I don't know why I shared that with you. <laughs> Other than you need to, you need to be teachable. And you need to hear the word. And my point in it was, we sometimes we just let that stuff distract us. Like that is, can I be bold with you this morning if I haven't been already? That is a God and an idol in our culture, all that stuff. That stuff's a God, man. And maybe that's why God doesn't have me in it. So that way I'm just not associated with any of it. And I, you know, I'm not, not that I don't think it's beautiful. You should be in nature. You should mountain climb. You should do all those things, but you should do them to the glory of God, and you should never allow those things to allow it to hinder you from not hearing from, from the goodness of Jesus. Because what if, what if knowing God's word and doing God's word really is inextricably connected with your joy and your happiness, and you're filled with all that anxiety simply because you are hindering God's word from getting into your mind? Is that possible? I think it totally is. So, so, Then he says, true religion, verse 26 and verse 27, visit orphans and widows. Now, James is not giving us a rule book and saying, listen, if you want to be a true Christian, make sure you're visiting in orphans. And so you go to orphanages and you go find the widows in the church. You find them and you you say, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that's in part of what he's saying. But he's saying something as a whole. The, the attitude of a true Christian is the attitude of visiting orphans and widows. Who does the Bible describe as orphans? 
the culture of the lost. Jesus is supposed to be the great groom. Jesus is the great groom and we're the bride. So who's widowless? It's an overarching idea of, of what, he, what James is saying is you should have an overall love and care for people who don't know God. It's a commandment inside the church to care for those kids who need fathers, and it's also a commandment in the church to make sure that we're caring for the widows in the church as well. And notice that there's no, there's no parameters here. He doesn't say, well, you know, take care of a widow for five years, and then by then she should emotionally be healed. Or 10 years or 15 years. No, no, no. You care for her. And you love her. Period. I get frustrated sometimes when, when stuff happens and people say, man, you know what? By now, you know who Jesus is. It's been long enough. You should be healed. That's garbage, man. That stuff stays with you for a long time. And Jesus works in that, and he's in that, and that's okay. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be broken. Because you're in the right place if you're a broken person. Because Jesus will be healing you and mending you, all of us, until we go to heaven. And then when we're in heaven, man, finally we're like, I am healed. But not until then. Until then, we're to care for each other in our brokenness. And not just one another, we're to care for the, the world which means that Sierra Bible Church should be doing things in this community to care for the community, to care for the widows who don't have the husband that is Jesus, and to care for the orphans who don't have their father as Jesus, and to care for them in such a way that they see Jesus is so attractive, they want to make Jesus their husband, and they want to make Jesus their father. You know what that means? It means sometimes you just go down to the school and you feed the teacher's lunch like we do on occasion. Now what if... You know, Brad Noll, you know, he's got, he's got like this weird, like, triple title for the church. Right? Brad Noll is a worship pastor, outreach pastor, and he does all the IT in the church, too. Every computer you see here, Brad makes, he loves that part of his job, by the way. He, lo he loves it. He's like, Brad Franklin got another virus on his computer? What are you doing? What if, what if our church... What if you, when I say you, if you think I'm talking to you, I am. And if you don't think I'm talking about you, I am. What if you, what if you were so good at naturally doing outreach that we just remove that title from Brad? We just don't need it. Because we're just doing it. Wouldn't that be great? I'm going to try to work you out of the job, bro. Okay. So that's the doing aspect. I want to close with this, and then we get to do a baptism this, uh, this afternoon. James says, we go back to the mirror. James says, the person who looks intently, intently at the mirror, intently looks at his natural face and walks away. That word intently is the same word. It's used twice in the New Testament. It's the same word that's used for Peter when Peter goes up to the tomb, and it's empty. Now imagine what Peter did when he looked in the tomb. He intently looked in. He, he didn't just look and say, oh, no big deal. He knew by looking inside the tomb that the world was never going to be the same again. And the implications of that weighed heavy on Peter. James says to do the same thing. He says you have to look intently, but you can't walk away and forget. And what he's saying is this, and this is what makes everything work. Everything I've just stated, everything in the book of James only works this way. When you look in the mirror, you have to let the word read you but when you read the word, you have to, inside the mirror, 
You have to see Jesus. And the best way to describe it is this quote here. Jesus Christ is the only person who never forgot what the Word of God said, but always did it. We have 18, 1,800 verses of Jesus Christ talking. 1,800 verses of Jesus' words. 10% of them are quotations from the Old Testament. Jesus Christ could never say anything without quoting the Bible. He was saturated in the Bible. He looked intently into the Bible. When the devil assaulted him, he used the Bible. When the religious leaders questioned him, he used the Bible. When he was facing the cross, he used the Bible. And when he was dying, two of the last things he ever said were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And those were both quotes from the Bible. They're from the Psalms. Here's the only man who did the entire word of God. He did everything. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to be thrown into the abyss, what did he say? I'd like this cup to pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you know what that means? Thy word be done. He was completely submitted to the word of God, even though it cost him everything. When you look into the word of God, don't just see yourself. You must see the only man who ever completely fulfilled the law. And the reason this is important is because you're going to leave here and you're going to, some of you are going to uh, deeply attempt to do this thing perfectly and well. And the result will be you will fail miserably. Have you ever shared Jesus with somebody only at the end to be like, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done it this way. I forgot to say it this way. Have you ever done that? You'll always do that. And the only way that that won't condemn you is if you understand that Jesus died for you, imputed his righteousness to you, gave you his perfection so that you then could go about this imperfectly. It's a silly nonsense thing. Basically what Jesus is giving us permission to do is to not do it well. And it's not an excuse to say, it's not, it's not the excuse your, your heart and your motive matters. You want to do it well, but you know you're not going to do it well, and that's okay because we have Jesus who already did it well. And until you understand that Jesus has already done all of this perfectly, you're going to be striving for your salvation and striving for your peace instead of living in the true power that God gives us. You are free to fail, my friends. And that is why it's called good news. Because no one in this room, I don't care if you're 82, 85, 95, none of you are perfect, none of you will ever be perfect, and that's okay because we don't worship you, we worship Jesus. You with me? So we put our eyes on the cross, we put our eyes on Jesus, who did everything right, so that we could, we could kind of mess it up a little bit. And praise God for it. And as Josh comes up, Josh, would you come up? Josh is going to be baptized, and so Josh has made a proclamation of faith. Did you wave everybody? Yeah. And um, he wanted to share with you a little bit of his story <clears throat> and, and uh, why, he got, why he's getting baptized, and then we're going to um, sum, submerse him. Look at you writing it all down oh, and prepared. Yeah. I don't even have that much notes, bro. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm good. So, Josh, go ahead and share with them. Hello. Um, I've, I wrote... I wrote all this down. Yeah. Okay, uh, did you just give him a moment? You're good. Just right there. I've never used one of these. Um, yeah. Did you say you were going to start rapping? Um, no. Oh, okay. no. So I've... Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. 
Am I as loud as I think I am, or is this just the speaker? Okay. So I wrote all this down. Pretend you I, can't hear yourself and just hold that mic close because it's harder for him to make it right if you don't. Yeah, there you go, right there. Okay. I wrote all of this down to make it shorter and condensed and pithy, but I have a lot more to say than uh, what I wrote. So if you feel like asking any more questions or knowing a little bit more, um, I'm open to talking about uh, everything that's said in here and more. My name is Josh Nicholson, and I became a Christian a little over two years ago. I was brought up to believe in God. However, by the time I was seven, I began to question his existence and my security in the afterlife. Not long after that, I was proclaiming, there is no God, and heaven is a myth. In my arrogance, I thought I knew better than all those sheepish people who needed a God to believe in and tell them what to do. God, to me, was a cosmic killjoy. No God equals no rules. At a young age, I began an unrestrained, foolhardy, selfish life of smoking, drinking, cursing, partying, and fulfilling my lustful desires, and coming and going as I please without regard to my parents' rules or broken hearts. I spent years justifying my actions and lying to myself, trying to drown the truth that I was empty and dead inside with drugs, alcohol, and sinful relationships. Over the years, I became numb and deeply depressed. Absolutely nothing made me happy anymore. I knew I needed a change, but I didn't know how to achieve that, and change was elusive to me. One day, I moved to Squaw Valley Staff Housing, a never-ending party and a haven for people who believe in everything except the true God. I was drawn into mysticism, talking to trees, idolizing crystals, more partying, more depression. Then in the midst of all of this, I met a girl so constantly filled with joy that I thought she must have some great weed. <laughs> <sighs> to my surprise, when I asked her, she laughed and said sweetly, I've never smoked weed. I've never had drugs. Well, how are you so happy? I asked. She said, I get my joy from knowing that God loves me and has saved me from my sins. I wanted nothing to do with that path to joy. But I found myself showing up at her doorstep over the following several weeks, asking question after question about God, the Bible, her faith. The day she left for a summer job in Oregon, a Bible that she had ordered me arrived. After ignoring it for two weeks, I started reading in the book of Matthew. My, my eyes began to be open to the truth that I had been making a waste of my life running from God. I learned that God is love. He knows what's best and wants what's best. And with him, I need not fear following his commandments, as the only thing I would truly miss out on is making more shipwreck of my life. I spent the next several weeks praying for change, but something was missing. I admitted to my friend in Oregon over the phone that my prayers seemed to yield no change, no success over sin. She asked me flat out, have you given your life to Jesus? I said no. She told me he is the only way to righteousness and new life. I spent a bus ride from King's Beach to Squaw asking Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Since that day, the Holy Spirit has been faithfully and gradually transforming me. He has turned me from a person who hates his law to one who loves it because I am no longer condemned by it. Though I still sin every day, I am no longer a slave to it. My life's direction has turned from death, eternal separation from God, to eternal life in union with him. Take your shoes off. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Make your base gonna be safe. I just.
I don't know how waterproof it is. So, good news for Josh, we got the, um, the heater fixed. So, the last few baptisms haven't experienced this. This is how Jesus did it in a feed trough. That was another joke that didn't go over. Go ahead, go ahead and step in. And um, you can either sit or get on your knees, whatever you're more comfortable with, and then come closer to the side. So as Josh shared, um, his proclamation of faith with you, his church, we, we understand something very unique and beautiful about baptism, and that is that what is happening with Josh here doesn't change anything. What changed Josh was his faith, and we believe in faith alone and Christ alone. And as he is dunked under the water and raised again, it's to proclaim the truth to you as church, which is true for those of you who have made that proclamation of faith as well, that in Christ, the old person is laid waste. He's dead. And that old person is left in the grave is where Jesus came out, and we come out as well. As Josh rises from the water, it's the proof that he's been washed. It's, it's, it's to show us what's true in our faith, that he's been washed of his sin. He's been cleansed in, of his sin, and he's now a new creature. And he's proclaiming that as a reminder to you. The reason we do it is because, boy, if there's anything we need to be reminded of as a church is that reality that we are new creatures and that it's true that that old sinful beast has been put into the grave and no longer lives. And all that lives in the sight of God is a righteous saint. The Bible calls this, this young man is a saint. And that is a very beautiful thing. And so, Josh, let me pray for you, and then we'll do it. Lord, thank you for Josh. Thank you for his new faith in you. I ask, Lord, that this would be a moment of memory for him, just as it was for the day of salvation on that bus ride. Thank you that you live within him now and that you've made him a new creature and that you're going to continue to make him new every day. We thank you for the death on the cross that you've given us and the promise of salvation you extend to the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Straight on. You can grab your nose if you want. No? All right. Okay. <laughs> He's ready to go. Congratulations, man. <laughs> Give me a hand. Hold on. A band can come up and we can sing, and if the worship team wants to come up and finish off in a song, again, yeah, it feels good, huh? <laughs> Do you have a um, change of clothes or anything? No? Okay. Amen for that. Let's all stand as we close in worship.